You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark. This is the call-in show of the Packernet Podcast Network. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you'd like to be a part of the show... Feel free to call in 608-501-0718. New callers go directly to the front of the line. Uh, we don't have any, unfortunately, as, as much as J.J. did try trolling as many Jets fans as he could and then goading them into uh, calling, even calling them cowards and saying, you won't say that to my face, <laughs> trying to get him to call in. None of them took the bait, man. I'm, I'm a little sad about that. Not a single person. I guess they were fine... Uh, crawling into his dms i guess probably because there's a phone number attached and you could probably find out who that is as opposed to you know just doing the old dms on twitter thing it's a little harder to track people down that way um but anyways the only other news for today is i think i found a way to make all of the uh the calls a little bit louder so i did have somebody reach out and say yeah i I can't hear anything at all which makes sense because I can't hardly hear what the callers are saying. So hopefully things are much louder and clearer, and let's find out with uh, Garrett. Okay, so I'm going to give you a scenario for the mock draft coming up that uh, I think is an intriguing one that is a possibility. Um, the last couple of seasons, Green Bay has gone to the well going to pick uh, you know, Georgia Bulldog players because of the, uh, the winning, the... Uh, the institution that it is, the Georgia Bulldogs and championships and just the whole environment, how these guys are raised up. Uh, they've gone there very many times. Uh, you know, Stokes, Wyatt, you know, and all these other, Quay Walker. So I think this time, though, I, this is where I'm coming from. I think that they're going to go to the Iowa Hawkeyes uh, team for several reasons. One, Sam Laporta, tight end. Two, uh, this is a dark horse, linebacker, Campbell. I think this kid could actually be something special. So there's always that, you know, pick that we always see Green Bay, you know, pull out a hat that we weren't expecting. That could be one. Uh, and then, uh, Moss 
the cornerback for them, who I think they could transition him from cornerback to safety. I think the kid's really special. And then uh, last but not least, Lucas Van Ness. So there's four players there for Iowa Hawkeyes that I think they potentially could go, you know, double dip or even triple dip from a team if the guys fall to them. So uh, that's just my uh, little scenario for you to dig into. But I think there's four picks there that are legitimately guys that are, I think, are Green Bay Packer, you know, style players. So I'm out. Yeah, I mean, I think you could probably do that with a lot of schools. Um, I didn't quite make the connection with, you know, Georgia's the championship team and all that, so that's why they went to that. Why would they then go to Iowa? I'm not sure. But in terms of, you know, what school is going to be the one that they're kind of double, triple dipping in, I mean, fair enough. Um, obviously, Van Ness is a guy, and, and there's that. But I mean, it could be Georgia again. You got Broderick Jones, Nolan Smith, Keely Ringo, Darnell Washington, et cetera, et cetera. Could be uh, Northwestern with Peter Skaronsky, followed up by Odetomiwa Adeboware. So I don't want to stand in the way of your convictions, if that's what you think that they're going to do. Could be. But um, I've tried a couple different teams, and uh, I haven't had any issues with it. Uh, Clemson, uh, TCU with Quentin Johnston. Uh, Alabama obviously has a billion players, you know, Brian Branch and whatnot. But yeah, if you feel like that's the one... That's cool. I don't know what else to add to that. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. This is Andy from Kansas. Hello. I'm uh, wondering what you would like to see from Jordan Love that's different from what we've seen from Aaron Rodgers. Uh, the one thing that I have in mind, or a couple of things, is, first of all, I like him to use the middle of the field more. Uh, Rodgers, you know, we all know that he studied Favre and realized, okay, I can't throw them in the interceptions. I'll cut that down. And he did that to an amazingly extreme uh, minimum. But with, uh, with Jordan Love, I'm wondering if he's looking at what Rodgers, not what Rodgers does, but what Rodgers doesn't do and is thinking, you know, I can do that better because this guy won't. So I'm kind of curious about that in particular. Um, I'd like uh, Jordan Love to do whatever Matt LaFleur tells him to. I don't think that Aaron Rodgers was up for that. I'd really like to find out if Jordan Love is talented or is Matt LaFleur's scheme good or is it not good or is Jordan Love good or not good. We won't find that out unless he actually executes what he's specifically uh, you know, told. So I hope, he's, I hope he follows the coach in that way a little more than, than Rodgers does. Um, I'll call back, but... Yeah, it's funny. As far as the middle of the field thing goes, I, I saw an article recently. I forgot who wrote it, but um, I was going to talk about it on tomorrow's podcast, but I didn't get to it. But you can sum it up pretty quickly. Bottom line is Aaron Rodgers was actually an above-average thrower when you're talking about targeting the middle of the field. He did it at a very high uh, success rate, but very rarely did it. He was you know, one of the one of the best to do it when you're throwing in the middle of the field, but one of the fewest quarterbacks to actually target the middle of the field. And you're right, it might have had something to do with trying to avoid interceptions, which obviously is going to hinder your offense if you cripple yourself and not wanting to throw in an area of the field that is a high success rate. But I think if I were to kind of summarize what I want, it would be something like fluidity. I feel like for a long time, success for the Green Bay Packers meant success from Aaron Rodgers. 
all of our success hinged on whether or not he could be magical. You know, it was it was like guys ran down, it was like backyard football. Guys ran down the field and he scrambled around and he would just try to find that one guy and try to make that perfect arm angle throw and all this stuff. And I'm I'm just kind of tired of that. And I I don't mean to say it was a bad thing, but it's just more so than wanting to see a good quarterback, I want to see a good offense. I want to see something that just makes sense. The right play call at the right time executed properly. I don't want to have to see magic in order for things to work. I don't want things to seem so hard. You know what I mean? Everything has always seemed so hard. You watch like the Patriots when they were in their heyday. It never seemed hard. It was like, why is everybody open all the time? Brady just stands there in a clean pocket, throws a nice easy pass for five yards down the field. That guy runs for another eight yards and it's an easy first down and then some. Same guy keeps running across the middle of the field open. Like what the heck is going on? 49ers, same thing. Just get a guy to distribute the ball, throw it over here, throw it over there. I don't want to have to see third and one Rodgers scrambling out of the pocket trying to find somebody to throw it to 28 yards down the field. Everything always just felt so difficult. And I, that was part of, again, very small sample size. That was part of what I liked about seeing Jordan Love against the, the Eagles. It just seemed robotic and simple. There was nothing magical about what Jordan Love did. I mean, some of the throws were really accurate, and that's great made the right decision to throw the right ball in the right way to the right guy at the right time in the you know with a good amount of accuracy that's wonderful but it was just simple and and again it was the the you know he knew where the ball was going based on the offensive play call and the defensive alignment and just based on that it was just this guy will come open at this time and, and the uh, the anticipation of the throws is my favorite part of the whole thing you know Christian Watson before he even plants his foot to come out of his break Jordan Love's already got his arm cocked and the ball's about halfway out of his hand he delivers the ball Christian Watson runs right into that open spot right where he's expected to be Jordan Love doesn't even have to hardly think he just knows based on what the defense is doing and what the play call is this guy's going to be open and he was and if you have that kind of timing down the defense can't do anything about that and, and the plays didn't take long to develop. It's, it's not like, you know, he had to stand there for four or five seconds and scramble around and break the pocket and try to see who's going to come open. I mean, occasionally that kind of stuff's going to happen. But a lot of these questions are just quick hitters. A lot of these questions, a lot of these plays are just quick hitters. You know, two seconds, maybe three seconds. Boom, boom, balls out. It's just efficient. And don't get me wrong, I, I'd love to see him be able to, you know, when needed, break the pocket and make these heroic throws. And that's cool that Rodgers did that all these years. And I love that he did it. And the fact that we had all these great offensive linemen and great wide receivers to accompany him with that, we've seen some unbelievable offenses. But, you know, that's not every play. And it shouldn't be every play. In fact, most of the plays should just be these robotic, simplistic things that just work. Because it was a good play against what the defense is doing. And a lot of this has to do with setting things up, right? You show them this look, and then you run the exact same formation, the same looking play, but then this time we're going to run it this way. This time we're going to do this. And, you know, it's just, it's all these different plays where you don't know what's coming until the ball's basically out of the quarterback's hands. Don't know if it's a run, don't know if it's a pass, a play action, a boot, you know, whatever. You don't know if guys are going to stay in and block or slip out and run a route. And it's just a frustrating offense to play against. And once in a while, things break down and you need some heroics, but that should be rare. And I would much rather have an offense that looks like that and a quarterback without the heroics than a quarterback who's nothing but heroics and an offense that's clunky. Because all it's going to be is punt, 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 heroic, first down, punt. <laughs> right? I mean, it's you need consistency. Consistency, consistency, consistency. That's the most important thing. And yeah, you're going to, you know, that, that's where Pat Mahomes, that's why the Chiefs are so good. They're, they are that robotic offense that just looks perfect. But then when, when they're in a bind... Pat Mahomes is that magician. 
That's what makes them so unstoppable. It's both. You got Andy Reid, who's just calling the exact right plays and is just a wizard offensive play caller. And then when things break down, Pat Mahomes makes magic happen and plays that shouldn't work. He makes them work. But let's just start with the offense that looks good. Let's just see Jordan Love distribute the ball to the right guy at the right time. And if you can add the heroics on top of it, then we are in for uh, some pretty good times. Ryan Andy from Kansas again. Um, I heard a few weeks ago, maybe, that uh, you were interested in taking over the entire world yeah. in a one-world government. Yep. I haven't heard anything about that recently. Um was wondering if I up my pledge to the $10 level, would mm-hmm. that put you over the top? Let me know about that. that, that- How much does a, uh, a, a militia cost? I mean, like a big one. Like... Um- like if I wanted to hire all of the uh, what's one of the big ones like the the was it the three percenters is that the thing? How much would those guys like to just buy them outright? I don't know if they even have the firepower, but yeah, I'm just just wondering. Maybe maybe is the answer. Ten bucks might do it. That'd be great. Uh, secondly, <clears throat> I'm curious if uh, Jordan Love is if it's going to be necessary for him to draw inspiration while he's achieving or, or, or at least uh, becoming more talented. Now, what I mean is, is I think that there are some teams that are top-heavy. And I don't mean top-heavy in the sense of they just have a few really good players and everybody you know, b- below them is, is not very good. And that does happen when you mishandle your, uh, your salary cap. I'm talking about what if a team is so reliant on talent that the rest of the supporting cast does not really get any inspiration from being on that team. I'm wondering if this is what's happened the last few years. We've had Aaron Rodgers, except for last year, at a really high talent level, and it seems like guys aren't really inspired to to do what it takes to win championship games. Um, If you think back to all the Super Bowl year, okay, there was a lot of inspiration on that team. And maybe there was a much healthier level of inspiration, even if maybe the talent level wasn't so high. Think of the Super Bowl specifically. Take the Howard Green tipped ball. Was that guy super talented, or was he just inspired to go after it on that play? Uh, Think of Kevin Green uh, to Clay Matthews during the timeout. All he said was, it is time. And that's all it took for Clay Matthews to go out and do something not only talented, but inspired. Right, Charles Woodson, his play during the Super Bowl really didn't matter that much. He did tip a ball away, which is what led to the injury of his collarbone. But didn't he make the halftime speech, which I said was incredibly inspiring? And then Charles Woodson didn't do anything else for the rest of the Super Bowl, and yet he made his impact. So I'm curious if we're going to see more of that, where not so much high talent level but low inspiration, but more of a balance I know that's kind of one of those psychological things, but I think it would probably help, especially a talented quarterback who shouldn't feel that he's that talented quite yet. But he just needs to, you know, figure out a way to be more inspired. Anyway, bye. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible, and I think it's something that I've kind of been um, in some small way alluding to with, with this whole Jordan Love thing and these guys kind of rallying together as a group as opposed to Aaron Rodgers being, like, the leader of the team saying, get on my level, you know? Uh, and, and just on top of that, you think about what the media always talk, you know, what 
even now, what is everybody saying? The Packers are going to zero. Why? Because this whole team was Aaron Rodgers. Now, we can pretend that that doesn't have any kind of a psychological effect on, on the players, but even when you, know, when you talk to the coaches, when you talk to anybody, even the players are expected to speak of Aaron Rodgers in this highly reverent way in which like he is just on another plane as opposed to everybody else. But what happens when we're all kind of on a level playing field? What happens when it's not Rodgers' team that we're playing on, but it's our team? When, when you know, everybody takes ownership of what they're doing. I, I, I genuinely think that that has a part to do with it. And I've, I've even talked about before many years ago. I remember when Rodgers, we, we'd had, uh, I don't know what year it would have been, but um, maybe it was 17, but I think it was before that. It was a smaller injury. But um, the defense was actually playing at a high level. And when Rodgers got hurt, the defense fell off. And I just, I could not reconcile why would that happen? And it's, I think it really is just because this has been Rodgers' team for a very long time. The entire identity of this team has been Aaron Rodgers. Um, and I do think there's an opportunity here for guys to kind of step into their own and, and step out from behind Aaron Rodgers' shadow. Um, and, and again, take ownership. I think we've heard some kind of comments a little bit from like the defense, maybe sort of doing something like that. We're not, you know, in other words... You know, we're here to kind of carry the... It's it's almost like a competitive thing where they expect to be better than the offense. They're going to carry the offense. We're not worried about, you know, the offense carrying us or, you know, those kinds of comments, which I think is a good thing. Um, again, just, just not allowing their identity to be wrapped up in Aaron Rodgers does this. No, we do this. We win this. Now, obviously didn't have that great of an effect because the defense wasn't good until the second half of the year, which kind of sounds like it was a Joe Barry problem. Uh, based on some of the comments and whatnot in terms of, you know, adjusting the scheme accordingly, which then the defense really started to take off. But I, I, bottom line, I think that it's a good thing. I think that it's a good thing to for these guys to be able to have their own identity and not have to feel as though that, you know, he Aaron Rodgers is just this massive figure. It's, it's not even that Aaron Rodgers did anything wrong. It's just, it just is what it is. And there, as you said, it's somewhat of a psychological effect on top of, you know, how you're expected to act around Rodgers and how the coaches and everybody else act around Rodgers and how the media acts around Rodgers and talks about how this whole team is about Rodgers. And now is an opportunity for them to get out from behind, again, his shadow and, you know, strap up your boots and say it's on you now. You can't, there's no more fallback on Rodgers. There's no more, this is Rodgers' team. There's no more, as long as Rodgers is here, there's always a chance. If there's a chance, it's on you. So go do something about it. And, um... I think that'll be good for them. And and like I said, I think we've seen this with a lot of teams. They lose their quarterback and somehow their team gets better. They lose their coach and somehow their team gets better, even if it's just for a little moment. But it's because the guys kind of rally around each other. And surprise, surprise, when a group of guys become a team, it's a good thing when you're playing a team sport. Andy from Kansas here. So, Ryan, if you have an idea that you don't want to forget about for the next day's podcast, have you ever thought about calling Packernet Podcast and leaving a question for yourself? That's a good point. Anyway. I have not thought um, So, I read an article on Cheesehead TV, uh, and they, I forget who it was, maybe it was Gil Martin, 
He made a pretty good case for this is the kind of draft that the Packers could literally pick the best player available, and it would actually be a very good pick. Now, I know that that's generally the uh, the strategy there, but his point was not that all the positions were, were so weak, so we desperately need a good player at any and all of them. It was simply there is improvement that can be made pretty much on, on every single positional group, so... Don't sweat it. Just pick the best player available. It'll actually help. I think that's an interesting uh, theory. I don't know if that changes from from year to year. If this year is specifically more so that that way uh, than other years. Um, <clears throat> but I like the idea, especially when it comes to uh, uh, receiver, not necessarily wide receiver, but pass catcher. You know, we have the three second year wide receivers, and then whom? Not very much. But this year's not great for wide receivers, so then what? Do we turn our attention to pass-catching tight ends? And if we do that, then does that lead our offense to run more 21 or 12 personnel? What about uh, running back? What about trading up? Crazy sounds, but trading up in the first round for a high-caliber running back? I'm thinking Bijan Robinson. I don't even know if he's going to be there. I don't even know when he's going to go, obviously. But... Just varying this kind of thing, coming out with a, with an offense that looks so much different than what teams are used to when playing the Packers. I just, I still don't think that people, I don't think I've ever seen really truly the Matt LaFleur offense or is he able to, to change things up from week to week. We've never had him have to do that kind of a thing. Uh, I know I'm thinking just, you know, pass catchers here, but, um, just the variety of possibilities out there as far as changing things up, I think would be, you know, pretty interesting, at least different, but. Yeah, I've definitely felt like this year in particular, there is, I think I made the comment before, I mean, what, what positions should we not draft? I mean, now that we did the extension to Aaron Jones, I think it would come down to, you know, just talking first round, maybe quarterback, running back, linebacker. Is that basically it? I mean, as far as, like, positions that would not make you kind of turn your head sideways and go, what the heck? Picks that you would, they would make it and go, okay, that makes sense. Maybe corner on top of it, although that seems completely up in the air in terms of what we're doing. I mean, Stokes has been kind of thrown to the side here. I don't know if it's just an injury thing or what. I had heard he's on track to be back week one, and now they're, the team is going on as though he's not even a part of our team anymore. I don't, it's a very strange thing. But safety... Clearly, edge rusher, defensive tackle, guard, center, tackle, wide receiver, tight end. I mean, yeah, all that. That sounds great. <laughs> and even, you know, even quarterback, technically, if the quarterback was available, you would strongly consider it. But um, I think you would have to, you, it would be better to kind of wait and see what Jordan Love can do, right? Um I think it's one of those situations where if that quarterback was like the only guy left on your board, you're you're looking to trade back, right? And I think somebody had even mentioned that recently about, you know, Will Levis could potentially fall into that 15 slot. He may be the best player available. And then with Washington looking for a quarterback at 16, there's probably some teams that would be willing to trade up that we could trade back with. That would probably be a good idea. But yeah, it, it does really take a good amount of stress off of things where because there have been drafts in the past and a lot of this probably had more to do with um 
fans just being kind of ridiculous about what our needs are. Most most fans of most teams tend to think there's only one need. And if you think we're doing anything other than a wide receiver, you're an idiot. If you think we're doing anything other than a guard, you're an idiot. Okay. But really, there there have been times in the past where you felt like there were just a couple of really pressing needs, and the Packers really needed to address it, and usually they didn't. But I, yeah, I think that there's a lot of... Let me put it this way. There's not a lot of scenarios in which the Packers pick a player at a position that I'm going to think, what the heck are you doing? They're not going to pick a linebacker just based on the fact that there really aren't any. I would be stunned if they picked a running back, which would be Bijan, beyond stunned. And quarterback, I just, I can't fathom that that would be the decision with Jordan Love looking to take his first snap as the starter of the Green Bay Packers. And again, if they took a corner, it would be a little disappointing just because there's so many other needs. But, you know, Jalen Carter, there's a lot of character concerns, but would that be a problem positionally? And, and, and it, aside from the red flags, would there be a single problem in any capacity? No. Tyree Wilson, no problems. Paris Johnson tackled. Joey Porter, corner, again, corner. Miles Murphy, edge. Peter Skaronsky, tackle. Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver. Lucas Van Ness, edge. Quinton Johnston, wide receiver. Tackle, edge. Safety, wide receiver. Tight end, defensive line, defensive line, tight end. I mean, it's... No, those are all, those are all fine, man. <laughs> There's no problem with any of those. I mean, really, if you just take this consensus big board and say everybody after pick 10, how many of them are quarterbacks, running backs, or linebackers? One, and it's Will Levis, and that's it. The next quarterback, running back, or... Um, linebacker that you'll find on this list is Jameer Gibbs, whose consensus pick 34. So yeah, you can pretty much just do whatever you want to do. Hey Ryan, uh, when you and Clayton were on with Matt Ramage, Ramage referred to a couple of things that I've been thinking about for the last, I don't know, three or four weeks, and it's this. <clears throat> what if the Detroit Lions are the best team in the division? And what if the Detroit Lions are the best team in the division now because they actually grew a brain and said, you know who we should go after? We shouldn't go after getting past the Bears and getting past the Vikings and eventually maybe going, why don't we just go after the Packers? Why don't we just go after them right off the bat? Why don't we just build a team to beat that one? Um, they're 3-1 and one against us in the last four, four contests, so they got that going for them. We used to laugh that, oh, the Lions are going to play us and it's going to be like their Super Bowl, so they're going to play us really, really tough. What if they're just good? They traded their quarterback two years ago for what I think most Packers fans wished we could get for Aaron Rodgers today. They got a coach who's very inspirational and Packers fans would like a guy like that, it sounds like. They don't think they like the a little more demure, demure and uh, uh, quiet at the floor. I think they want a rah-rah guy. Uh, Detroit has done both of those things. So my question is, should the Packers turn the tables? Should the Packers figure out what Detroit's looking for in this draft and get that guy before Detroit does? Now, I know they have an early pick in the first round because of the Rams, <laughs> but, you know, the Vikings got Justin Jefferson, and it was probably pretty clear that we wanted him. Um, but I'm wondering if Detroit's done that on several different levels. And it's time for Green Bay to, to get it back, to get back that, in that way. Uh, you probably wouldn't have seen it coming from the Detroit Lions, but a lot of, 
lot of times your worst enemy is not the enemy that you see coming. I mean, Brutus with Julius Caesar. Have you ever had a lean pocket? <laughs> that is betrayal on a cellular level, let me tell you. Um, yeah, anyway, just thoughts by it. Well, now I'm embarrassed to admit that I kind of like lean pockets. Um, yeah, I mean, it's we're, we're we're getting several layers deep here as far as the Lions building a team specifically to beat the Packers, and so we jump the Lions to take the player that they're going to take so that they can't build a team to beat the Packers. Um, first of all, we'd have to jump them at six and then understand who they're going to take and then take them so that they can't take the team to beat us, and then we can take that player to beat them. Um, I'm kind of okay with just letting them do what they got to do and we do what we got to do, and may the best man win. But, yeah, we could get super deep with it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to run so many calculations in my brain to figure out how this all comes into place, and um, I think I'm going to let you figure that one out, Andy, because that's, again, that's... That's a little deep for me, brother. Hey, uh, caller number five. You said to call in because you were running out of calls. Uh, why not? Yeah, thanks. Uh, first and foremost, I have to double or triple, I think, because I liter- literally just got a notification that the Packard that After Dark was on, and I see Hereditary in, in the title. Uh, Hereditary yeah. might be the best horror movie I've ever seen. Uh, really, really good. And then I know I can say this. Everything Everywhere All at Once is my new favorite movie all time. It was that good. Um, Just awesome stuff in that movie. Really funny, really uh, deep themes if you want it to be there, but it's just a fun ride anyway. So, um, yeah, I thought I'd start with that. And then the second thing I want to get into is more Packers stuff, of course. That's why we're here. Um, And on that, is there not a world where we actually win more games than we did last year because everybody says, or not everybody, Matt said temper your expectations. Everybody brings up the the six-win season, um, forgetting that our defense was really bad that year for Rodgers, and Rodgers had a good year, sort of, um, his, his first year starting. Is there not, is there not, a way that we hit, if our defense plays the way we thought it was going to play last year, um, the way it played towards the end of the year, is it not possible or conceivable that we win more games in Jordan Love's first year than in Rodgers' last? We'd just be interested to see what you think. Um, I have them slated for 7 to 10 wins on the high side, so falling right around where we were last year. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean it's it's entirely possible, and it doesn't even take that much um, straining to get there. If you think about how we ended up losing so many games, um, first of all, we lost to some really bad teams who seemingly just always seemed to get hot right around the time we were playing them. Right? I mean, we we played what we lost to the Jets and Giants when it seemed like they were going to be powerhouse teams, and then all of a sudden they just went to crap because they're garbage teams. Um, the Patriots, I think it was a similar situation. I can't remember who all the teams were. We might have beat the Patriots. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, there, there were, no, we didn't. There were all these teams that kind of came out of the woodwork, and it's like, oh, man, maybe they're actually really good, and that's why we lost, which means maybe we're actually really good, and then they didn't go on to keep winning, and they sucked. Then there's, again, the defense that got hot at the end when Joe Barry finally figured out how to utilize them right after the bye week. So we have a better defense. Watson and Dobbs in their second year. Not having these fluky situations where the bad teams we play go on a hot streak right around the time we play them. 
And then the big one, which is the bar in order to get there, even if everything else was the exact same, for us to get to the same number of wins, if, if it was just a carbon copy season, Jordan Love would have to play up to Aaron Rodgers' level of play, which you can say that's likely or unlikely, whatever, but it's not, and this is what everybody seems to be forgetting, Aaron Rodgers was not the number one quarterback in football. And Bears fans say, oh yeah, look, you think you're really not going to get worse, you're losing a Hall of Fame quarterback? Bro, he was not playing like a Hall of Fame quarterback last year. Yes, if he was the number one quarterback in football and we only had that many wins, that would be scary. But he wasn't. If he was the number one quarterback in football, we would have had a lot more wins. So if Jordan Love can just play up to Aaron Rodgers' standard, then it just really comes down to all the other factors. If he's slightly below, then you need other guys to pick it up a little bit. I mean, if he's the 15th best quarterback, that's not great, but it's only marginally worse than what Aaron Rodgers was, depending on the metric you're looking at. And so the defense playing kind of how they did at the end of the year for the entire year pretty easily makes up for that difference. Add in, again, Watson and Dobbs, first of all, being healthy, hopefully, the entire year, or at least for a longer period of time, and taking a step forward. Remember, we didn't even really utilize Christian Watson until week 10. Week 10. That's not even a half a season. And then you factor in whatever additional things we have. You factor in other people taking a step, Devontae Wyatt. Quay Walker. Again, you can do this going in the opposite direction also. Things could get worse. Things could, could get better. But it's, I don't think it's pie-in-the-sky thinking to think that they could maybe win one more game, two more. I mean, if, if what I described, if, if he could be a top-10 quarterback, which sounds crazy, but really it's not. Again, every single quarterback from his draft class was a top-10 quarterback and was graded higher than Aaron Rodgers. I know it's not their first year. But again, if I read you some of the top 10 quarterbacks over the last five years, it's, it's kind of shocking. As I've said, top 10 is just top third. It's, it's not a magical thing. And plus, you've got complete garbage quarterbacks in the NFL, and half, the, half of those guys get replaced. You've got injuries, and so-and-so comes in. And As far as actual legitimate quarterbacks, there's probably 15 of them, you know, maybe 20. So you're talking like top half in the league if you're top 10. So yeah, top 10 with an improved receiving core, with an improved and more efficient offense, with an improved defense. I mean, what, what exactly got worse? I mean, I thought Adrian Amos leaving was going to be detrimental to our defense, but lo and behold, he was kind of terrible last year. So that's not a step back. If we even lose him, he may still come back. I mean, Mercedes leaving is not great, but I mean, who did we lose that was a massive piece for our team? Who's one person that we lost that was massive? Well, Aaron Rodgers, I guess. But again, that's similar to Adrian Amos. Like, considering what he was last year, eh. Lazard? No, he wasn't good last year. Tunyon? He didn't do anything last year. Mercedes? I mean, I, I love the guy, but no. Dean Lowry? Again, I like him, but no. Jaron Reed? No. He didn't do anything. Who are we going to lose? That is a massive departure. Mason Crosby? Maybe? Is that the biggest departure this season? In terms of, like, this could be the, well, could be devastating, would still be Rodgers to Love if Love is terrible. A bad quarterback is just crippling. But again, considering how the Rodgers season played out last year, I don't know. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not expecting this team to be dominant just because of how many things were bad. I mean, the entire defense was kind of bad. Jair didn't play up to his full potential from what we've seen from him. Kenny played his worst year ever. Preston didn't play up to his full potential of what we've seen him play. 
Uh, Rashawn was injured, which, by the way, we get Rashawn back, so that's a plus for the football team. And Stokes should be back, who we lost last year, which is a plus for the team. Um, Elton Jenkins, you know, he was injured and then didn't really kind of come into himself until, you know, at least a quarter of the way through the the season or or more than that. I don't remember exactly when that was. And injuries are going to happen again this year, too. But, I mean, there's, there's just, there's always things. I don't see us taking a step back as much as us taking a step forward. And the only question is Jordan Love. And again, how much worse is he going to be really than Aaron Rodgers was last year? And I know that upsets a lot of people because how dare you compare him to the great and powerful Aaron Rodgers, but look at any metric anywhere. They weren't good numbers. PFF had him 10th, and then I think if it was, I don't know if it was overall or passing or whatever, he was like 11th or 12th or something, I don't know, maybe worse than that. DVOA, he ranked, uh, or DYAR, he was 17th or 16th. Um, DVOA was 21st in the NFL. 21st. QBR, um, 27th. Go over to SIS, his points earned per play, he ranked 19th. 19th, dude! Points above average per play, 18th, between Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, again, what, what do you want me to say? EPA, which is a very popular metric um, for, I don't know, a lot of people. He ranked 24th EPA. That's out of 30 quarterbacks. He had a negative 51.73 EPA. The only quarterbacks that were worse in EPA... Mac Jones, Baker Mayfield, Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, Davis Mills, Mills, and Justin Fields. That's it. Positive play percentage. He ranked 18th between Daniel Jones and Marcus Mariota. PAR, which I've compared to sort of SIS's PFF grade. He ranked 16th between Ryan Tannehill and Jacoby Brissett. Boom percentage, which is what percentage of the time do you make, like, big positive plays? He ranked 19th between Davis Mills and Geno Smith. Bust percentage. Bust percentage. He had the 8th highest, highest bust percentage. That's the percentage of plays that were god-awful at 19.5%. The only quarterbacks with a higher percentage, Marcus Mariota, Mac Jones, Daniel Jones, Ryan Tannehill, Russell Wilson, Andy Dalton, and yes, Justin Fields. So, listen, according to PFF... He was borderline top 10-ish. According to DVOA, he was not top 10. He was not even really top half. He was about mediocre to maybe outside of the top 20, depending on which metric you're looking at. According to SIS, he was probably potentially bottom 10. That's why I say depending on the metric. But you'd be hard-pressed to find too many metrics in which he is solidly one of the top quarterbacks. You would find be hard-pressed to find any real uh, overall metric that puts him inside of the top 10. So, can Jordan Love do that? Better than the 8th worst bust percentage? Better than um, 18th best boom percentage? Better than 16th best par? 18th best positive play percentage? 24th best EPA? Again, this is out of 30 quarterbacks. Could he do that? I think it's at least conceivable that he could, yeah. It's within the realm of possibility, although insane as it sounds, it's entirely possible, maybe not probable, possible that his EPA is within the top 23. Yes. Why don't we take a break and we've got a whole bunch of 1265 fan coming up. 
In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello. 1265 fan, how you doing? Are you there? Okay. Let's try that again. 1265 fan, are you there? Hey, Ryan. Hey, there we go. 1265. So, I was listening to After Dark more about your horror yeah. and, you know, thriller thing. Yeah. I think what you have an issue with is I think your definition of horror is more along the slasher style. And that's why Texas Chainsaw Massacre you have issues with, because that is a slasher movie. I mean, totally slasher. But I don't. I, I would classify The Ring as horror, and that's not a slasher. I think there's a lot of, like, uh, Amityville Horror, Exorcist. I think these are all horror movies, and it's not really slasher. Like, I think the priest gets thrown out of the window in... in uh, Exorcist, and that's about it. Amityville Horror, I feel like, does anybody even die in that? I don't know. So, not not really. And that is a horror movie. It just doesn't have the um, superhuman yeah. or whatever you want to call it. It has superhuman. What is it I'm looking Supernatural, for? Supernatural, yeah. Uh, the um supernatural something weird about it the it's oh i can't think of the darn word anyway you know what i'm trying to say yep i think and so. i think that's where you lean in regards to horror and i'm kind i'm kind of with you on that i do not see jurassic park as a horror flick right no way it's just 
it's just not. And Fallon's and the Lambs, that's border that's borderline to me as well. Yeah. Although I do think it's really freaky. And maybe that's another part of it. And that that would be another and I'm guessing the answer is is solidly yes. But does that, does do the people that find Silence of the Lambs to be a horror movie is Seven a horror movie? Because in my mind, no way. It's it's like a murder mystery. It's not a horror movie. There's nothing like horror ish about it. But there's no difference to me between Seven and Silence of the Lambs, like at all. So I don't know. Is if you have a little bit of like, okay, that's really weird. As part of your horror definition, that like weird in a in a gross way or a strange way, um, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the the difference between one person and the next. So, I you know what I think it is. The definition of a horror movie to me is a scary movie. <laughs> it's scary. It's something like I don't, you don't want to watch it with the lights off. And I don't feel that way with Silence of the Lambs and Jurassic Park. And I think if you do, then it's it's a horror movie to you. Not to say that Dusty, you know, has to have a, a nightlight on when he watches Jurassic Park. I'm sure he can manage. But just generally speaking, is that a scary movie to you? Um, again, my, my thing is like, I hate to use the word creepy, but it's just, I don't know. It's just kind of scary. You know, and even if you think about like um, uh, Saw. Is Saw a horror? I I would borderline lean yes, because it's it does have some like scary, creepy elements to it. But it, I don't know. Kind of, kind of not. It's it's kind of on like more of the I guess slasher, um, side of things. It's it's gruesome. I don't know. It's 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 all a spectrum, man, and it's it's hard to draw defined lines on that. Um. I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess it's one of those things where it, it, you think you have a really good definition of it. You ever try to explain simple words to your kids? It's the most... Fr- my daughter is going through a kick right now. My six-year-old. Where she she's... And she has no... She's not like my son. My son is a very proud person and will never admit he doesn't know anything. My daughter doesn't care. She's like, what does that mean? And the simplest stuff. What does that mean? And it's like, come on. You know what that means. And she's like, I don't know what that means. So I'm like, it means... <laughs> freaking... Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've learned that I don't know how to define any words ever. Anything. It doesn't matter what. Every time she's ever asked me, I don't know how to tell her what the word means. That's kind of like this, where it seems like, come on, dude. Jurassic Park isn't a freaking horror. Well, how do you define it? <laughs> freaking. It's got to be, like, scary. Like, when dinosaurs jump out and you jump. Like, well, no. It's kind of. It's got to have, like, mur- well, there's a lot of death and stuff in it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I do love horror and thrillers. I love those those movies. But I think it's hard to find the really good ones on Netflix or Hulu. I agree. And if they do have them, it's only going to be one or two. Right. At least that's in my experience. Yep. They play all of the cheesy ones, those they don't have an issue with, you know, the screens and all that, which... Scream actually is kind of a comedy yeah. horror to me. There's yeah. just some comedy, and that's another one. That's more. That's like the slasher type, and I get. 
I don't know. Like, and that's the thing too. Like at the time, like I don't even know. To be completely honest with you, if Texas Chainsaw Massacre were a new movie today, would I consider it a horror movie? I don't know. I'm not positive. Like the new one that came out, super gory and and all that. I I don't. That would probably be borderline. But it's one of the first horror movies I ever saw, and it gave me freaking nightmares. Like you would not believe. I was probably four or five years old. My dad popped in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it scared the living crap out of me. So yes, I classify it as a horror because it scared me to death. Um, but like Scream at the time, I thought it was a little bit creepy. But also, it's more—I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. In there, but anywho, that's all I got. Okay, bye. No, that's not all you got. Supernatural is the word. Yes, it is. That's the word yep. I was trying to think of, and yep. I couldn't think of it. I know. We I was kind of half asleep it's listening right. to a podcast before I got up in the morning. Anywho. So in response to the whole basketball thing, you're not liking basketball. So I grew up in the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. and so I became a Buck fan in the 80s when Sidney Moncrief was there and Brian Winter and all those guys. I don't know them. And um, I actually have a basketball signed by that team, wow, which that is pretty cool. Sounds impressive. Man. But I dropped out of watching basketball somewhere in the 90s, and uh-huh. I really have not been a basketball fan since. So that's the reason why I don't like that music, because it does not remind me of basketball in the past, oh, okay. I guess. That's the only basketball I know. So, so. I just, I want to be more a part of, dun, of dun, the dun. whole part of the basketball dun, game. Dun, like, dun. I want to be able to watch it and hear these guys, and I don't mind that. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, dun. I don't mind that. that okay. I don't mind. I don't mind some cheers. Don't mind that either. Got it. It's just the constant music playing that drives me nuts. I guess I didn't know that. Like, maybe I, I, I haven't been to a basketball game. There's music just playing the whole time. Like what, Little Wayne or something is just blasting while they're playing? I don't know. I, I don't know what happens in basketball games, to be honest. And I went to a Bucks game for free. I, I had a friend that got tickets from work, so we just went. Because, you know, why not? Free yeah. tickets, right? Sure. I live close to Milwaukee, so we went. And, yeah, I won't go back. I won't go back to another basketball game. Probably ever. Not unless they're in the playoffs and somebody gives me a free ticket, because I'm not going to ever pay to go to one. Yeah. Um, so in regards to your question about music, sure. that, Don't know what my that's question a loaded is. question because I'm all over the map. I really like just about everything. I say just about because country from like the 90s on, mm-hmm. I'm not fond of. I don't know. You know, I, I almost wish I knew more about country just because people that like country are very passionate about like styles of, and I, I don't know any. Like, I don't know the difference. I mean, I, I guess I would know the difference. You know what's even worse about it is I probably like more modern country than, like, old school, which is going to, like, bug people. Because, like, you know, real country people don't like that kind of stuff. I don't really like country at all, but there's some that are just kind of, like, fun. You know, summertime, driving in your car. Like, oh, I, could, I could I could rock this for sure. Um but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like, I can't even engage with that conversation because I just know nothing about it. As much as I feel like I listen to all kinds of music, I'm one of those people because it's just easier to say I listen to everything than to list out what I listen to. Country isn't really one of them, although there are some country esque things that I have dabbled in occasionally. But it's like when people get into that, like 
you know, I listen to like this. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what that means, man. I'm sorry. Like, is that like achy, breaky hard or what are we talking about? I don't know what that means. What it is, it's like country tried to be a little more rock and roll. Okay. And I don't know. I just, I like the old country. I like Patsy Klein and Johnny Cash. And, I like Johnny Cash. You know, stuff like that. That I love. I don't know anything about And Patsy by the Klein. way, I love it that you love old school music too. Especially Nat King Cole. I love Nat King Cole. Dude. The king of Christmas music. You know, it's funny because I, uh, I, I, I got into like that kind of music because I like Christmas music so much. And then I realized... Like, Christmas music isn't just Christmas. Like, it's a style of music. Like, that that was something that actually occurred to me. I know. Crazy, right? But it's like, why don't you just, like, dig up Nat King Cole and all these different artists and stuff that... And then I just... Basically, it's like listening to Christmas music all year round, but it's just that style that I, I just I just like. It's very... I don't want to say nostalgic, because I didn't live at that time, but it's just... It's so peaceful, and it just... It makes you feel good. You know? It makes... It's like, it, you can tell it came from a time when the world moved slower. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like everything slows down. Like, Nat King Cole is just telling you, like, dude, just relax. You know, smile. You know the lyrics to smile? By the way, th- th- these are lyrics that would never be written today. But they're fantastic lyrics. And it, the funny thing is, and this is how, like, uh, a lot of old school hymns are this way, too. If you listen to the melody of it, it sounds kind of, like, upbeat and happy. Like, smile. I mean, it's a little melancholic or whatever but it's generally kind of like the music is had da, 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 da. but it's so sad smile though your heart is aching smile even though it's breaking when there are clouds in the sky you'll get by i feel like today it's all about you're angry and you have every right to be and you should rage around and stomp your feet and flip the middle finger to the world you have every right to your feelings and your emotions and that Cole's like just chill man you know what just smile you'll be all right you just want to listen to Nat King Cole and sit out on a farm somewhere, watch some like 1920s car go rolling by while you sit on your rocking chair and smoke your cigar, a little glass of whiskey, the old time your radio with Nat King Cole coming through it. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't around in the 50s, but I feel like I get it, you know? Working at the factory, come home with your metal lunch pail, wife's got the those curly blonde hair things, perm thing, whatever, in the sundress, apple pie in the window. Where's little Johnny? It's out playing baseball with the boys at the park. That stupid jerk. I don't know. I don't know how the 50s worked exactly, but it's something like that. But it just relaxes you. Things are so fast-paced and loud and crazy all the time. You got social media, now you got AI, and it's like, there's just, there's so much information everywhere. Like, it's just sitting there like, hey, do you want to learn everything in the world? Do you want to know every piece of information that's ever existed? Do you want every bit of news that's happening at every inch of the world immediately downloaded into your brain right this second? Well, then you better sit here, because we got a lot of work to do, because it never stops. Nat King Cole's just like, dude, just go sit down. Open the window. Turn the phone off. Turn the computer off. Listen to the birds. Read a newspaper. Cigar, a beer, and a newspaper. You had a hard day at work today. Thanks, Mr. King Cole. I think I will. Yeah, it's nice stuff. One of them at least, but oh my lord. If he doesn't bring out Christmas in your soul yeah. at Christmas time, I don't know what else is going on. I know. Because holy cow, 
what a beautiful singer he is. Yeah. Anywho, um, so best bands for me. I went to high school in the 80s. Yep, big Michael Jackson fan. Yep. Huge Jackson 5, Michael Jackson, all that stuff. Prince, love all that. Love rock and roll. New, old, love it all. Um, dance, R&B, bye. <laughs> that was abrupt. Yeah, so, you know, I wasn't in high school in the 80s, but I was, you know, uh, young in the 80s. And like I've, I think I've mentioned before, that was like my, f- not not my first my first favorite band, I think, was Yes and the Scorpions or whatever, but I so vividly remember that cassette that I had of Michael Jackson, and I freaking wore that thing out, man. My, it was just, it was, it was so good, so good. Speaking of music, since we're on the topic, and maybe you've seen this because I've seen that it's kind of gone uh, pretty viral, but if you haven't, there is an incredibly talented young man. Every, every, YouTube has got some crazy stuff. Like, it's got some really good artists that you're never going to hear on the radio. And every once in a while, like uh, this, I might have told you before, Elise Trow or whatever. Awesome. Then there's a bunch of other people that do like that looping music. It's like, dang, dude, this is great. But um, the new one that I found that you should check out, and it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's funny because I went, I, I, if I tell you I've listened to this song a hundred times, I'm not exaggerating. But what I did is I listened to like reactions videos. I don't know why I get into those, but I do watching other people react to this person. It's cool too, because some of them are like, you know, professional singers, professional guitar players, professional this, that, or the other. So it's funny to hear their perspective and, and kind of get into how technical some of this stuff is. Even videographers explaining like how the video looks. But the, the common theme is like, I don't even know how to explain this. It's more like art than music. And as cheesy as that sounds, you'd have to watch it to understand what that means. But the song is called High Ren by Ren. Pretty intense song, but I like it when you guys share stuff with that uh, that you found that you enjoy. So I'm gonna go ahead and enrich your life with that one. Go on YouTube, type in High Ren R E N by Ren, and I've seen a couple other things that Ren has done. Uh, the guy is uh, wildly talented. He's got a lot of health issues and everything else, and I think a lot of psychological issues, which is what the song is about. But yeah, so go check it out. High Ren by Ren. We're gonna end it there. You folks have yourselves a fantastic night. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye.